their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the man said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day he raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Madeline, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the, to the apostles. But they did not believe the woman, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strip of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. And off. Oh, here we go. Um, so what a great day this is that we can come and uh, we can, I guess, praise and thank God for, like, what he's done for us, for how he's conquered the grave. And the music team, we're going to be doing an item now called Love Ran Red. And this song is um, a song where you can just reflect upon um, just how amazing that is. And I guess the hope that we have and with all trials that we have, we can we can bring it before Christ and we can know that um, he's with us because, yeah, he's, he has conquered the grave for us. So um, enjoy. There's a place where mercy reigns and never dies. There's a place where streams of grace flow deep and
Thanks, thanks, girls. And let's let me pray as we come to look at the scriptures. Thank you, Father God. We thank you for the great work that's been won for us at the cross, that we can find forgiveness and hope. And as we spend today, Lord, considering our Lord Jesus' resurrection, give us a great sense of the joy of that hope of forgiveness and the life you bring us to. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is my uh, 14th Easter talk here at Pennant Hills. I've been here a while, and I sort of say, lead pastor, you should be speaking on this on Easter Sunday. That's your job, whether I'm right or not. 14 talks. But I've got to say, it's not that hard to come up with another Easter Sunday talk because the resurrection is absolutely at the centre of Christian faith and hope. But you can imagine, Easter rolls around like Christmas does, and every Easter you think, oh, I've got to talk about the resurrection again this Sunday. What am I going to speak about? I thought, well, maybe this year I'll speak on something in the Old Testament. But here's the hard difficulty. The Old Testament, despite its size, and it's, it's big, there's a lot of writing there, and despite the fact that it absolutely prepares us for the coming of the Lord Jesus, the Old Testament says very little explicitly about resurrection. It's there, but it's hints, it's, it's ideas, it's suggestions. It's not clear. So then I started thinking, well, where would you find a beginning? If I'm giving a talk on the resurrection, where would you... What's the earliest I could go to to give a talk on the resurrection? And here's what I came up with. It's really early. I could have started at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the first verse of the Bible, in the beginning God created. But I thought I'd start a little bit later in the second chapter of the Bible. With the creation of man, the creation of Adam in the garden... He's created purposefully. He's created in the image of God. We read in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth, and there was no man to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. And the Lord God formed the man. He formed Adam, the man, mankind, from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. I've never seen it in person. No doubt some of you have, but we've all seen pictures of Michelangelo's David. A beautiful marble sculpture. It's like... Somehow he's captured the life of the man. Remarkable genius. And yet there's no life in David. He is a marble statue. He does not move. He does not speak. For all of Michelangelo's genius, there is no life in David. Just a lump of marble. God takes the dust, could be the ashes, the dry ground. He just takes a lump. And from that lump of nothing, he forms a man, a lifeless, amorphous lump. Maybe a slightly greyer, less dynamic looking David. But the story is not over. 
The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils and the, the breath of life and the man became a living being. Life. You have to wonder, we all wonder, everybody wonders, where does life come from? What is this thing? At the cellular level, well, it's DNA replicating with RNA and enzymes come and they help these proteins and membrane transfers and life. We can explain a lot, but who put the life in the cell? How does the cell have life to reproduce and function? It's, It's a mystery. At the organism level, the cells talk to each other. Millions and millions and millions of them. Synapses, which may regulate the cells talking. Electrical potentials, enzymes, proteins, in a blink of an eye. Hearts and lungs and brains and nervous systems and feet and toenails. And they all function together without us even thinking about it because they function. There's life in the organism. Who puts the life in there? Oh, well, we could say, well, the cells started in their evolution and just... No, no, yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying, but who puts the life in there to hold it all together, to keep it all working? The most incredible machine you've ever seen. I'm talking just about the cell. <laughs> I'm not about the organism. With all the organisms in our world. Incredible. What about life at the level of personality and consciousness? The fact that you love and you can't seem to help but loving. The fact that you hurt. The fact that you think and you aspire and you plan. The fact that you can have mercy. And somehow it seems to go beyond natural selection. Consciousness there. The self-awareness. The planning, the hope, where does the life come from? Natural selection. Somehow it falls down, doesn't it? Because we're just too wonderful, we're just too marvellous, there's something too deep to say it's all just random chance. Loving, hoping, joyful, pain-feeling, speaking, potential people. God breathes the breath of life into the man formed from the dust and the dead come to life. It's the work that only God can do. It's the work that God does. The one who alone possesses life eternal above and beyond, begets physical and spiritual life to the man created in his image 
the man created to live, the man created to prosper, the man created to love and to serve and not die, to enjoy life with his maker. But it did not last because the man rejected the author of life and thought he could be life unto himself. He lost relationship with the source and found judgment. He found the harsh reality of death. He lost it all as the dust returns to the dust. The man needs resurrection. He needs a new creation. The only hope he has is in the creator God who gives life. The rest of the Old Testament we discover that this God who gives life is the only God. He is the sovereign God. He is the creator God. He is the one alone to be worshipped because he is God. He is creator. And all of the forces of nature and all the ways of men and every matter of life and death is under his sovereign sway. And yet, as we read through the Old Testament, it says very little about This hope of resurrection. There are hints, but it is hardly a dominant theme. Oh, there is perhaps one big exception, though. The chapter we read this morning from Alvin, the prophet Ezekiel 37. You've got to understand Ezekiel's setting, though. If you want to understand this, you've got to understand where Ezekiel is historically. Ezekiel is in Babylon. He is a Jew in Babylon with many, many other Jews who have been exiled by the Babylonians from Jerusalem, from the land of Judah, from the promised land. Now God promised these people that they would be a kingdom of priests, that they would establish under his, with his laws a just society where God, is, God rules through his king, his anointed king, this wonderful society. And they would bless the whole world as they lived as God would have them live. In his land, with his presence, in his temple. And yet, here's Ezekiel in Babylon. You've heard the Boney M song, maybe many of you. Psalm 137, by the rivers of Babylon. Where we sat down, oh, how we wept when we remembered Zion, we remember, when we thought about Jerusalem, because we're all the way over here in Babylon. We're displaced. We don't fit. And what of God's promises? We're under judgment. And there in Babylon, God calls Ezekiel to prophesy. And if you read through Ezekiel's prophecy, he prophesies judgment. Judgment upon Israel. This is why they went to Babylon. Because they turned away from the Lord. They rejected him. They rejected his rule. Judgment upon the nations. Upon all peoples of the world who turn away from the Lord. But then you get to the second half of Ezekiel. And Ezekiel promises, prophesies restoration. For the people of God that they will return to the land under a great shepherd king. To the mountains of Jerusalem there will be great blessing for the whole world. There will be restoration. There will be cleansing from sin. He will give his people a new heart and a new spirit. And then Ezekiel has a vision. 
which starts in quite a terrifying manner. The hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and he set me in the middle of a valley and it was full of bones. He led me to and fro amongst them and I saw a great many valley bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Can these bones live? They are dead. They are dry. You alone, Lord. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. And Ezekiel prophesies and the bodies are formed. Sinews, tendons, skin, faces. But you need more than a body. You've seen the terracotta warriors. Hundreds or even maybe thousands of them. Each with an individual face. But dead. And dry. No breath in them. No life. And then the Lord said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Imagine the terracotta warriors. Breath comes and they stand up on their feet, a great army. Dead come to life by the word of God, by the power of his spirit. There is resurrection. And he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, O my people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I am the Lord and I have spoken and I have done it. Can you see that Ezekiel is prophesying a restoration to the land? The return of Israel to its hope. To living in Judah as the people of God. And later on, rebuilding the temple, which had been destroyed. And in a sense, Ezekiel's prophecy was fulfilled by a great miracle. The exiles in Babylon were returned to the land and they did rebuild and resettle. But, but you can't help reading Ezekiel's prophecy and, and what comes before and saying it's just not quite even anything like what he said. He was prophesying about a restoration, a resurrection for the people of God in the kingdom of God. Where there is relationship with God and peace 
And if you go and look at Israel's history, it was never like that. Israel kept waiting. The prophets kept prophesying. They kept longing for this great king, this Messiah. In fact, if you go look at Isaiah chapter 26, Isaiah prophesies, Your dead will live, their bodies will rise. You who dwell in the dust, wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. There's another hint of resurrection, but it's not quite what we see in Israel. Later on, Daniel prophesied in Daniel chapter 12. At that time, your people, everyone whose name is found in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. There's this great hope. But it seemed as you looked at Israel, the people of God, it looked fairly hopeless because they kept being defeated by their own sin. By turning away from God, they kept dying. There was little life. So we have to ask, when will this happen and how will this happen and who will bring this to pass? Because we're looking for a new creation. We're looking for the dead to come to life. Well, all four Gospels say that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God, the promised Messiah, the King, the Saviour of his people. And Jesus lived a righteous and obedient life before his Father. And he blessed so many people. He healed the sick. (coughs) He even raised the dead. It's like the kingdom of God, the promises have touched down. But this Jesus, this Messiah, he faces great opposition, even hatred. In fact, people who have against him a death wish. And by the end of the story, the enemies succeed. The curtain closes on hope in this man, this remarkable man, this kingdom bringer. His blood is spilt. He is crucified. He dies. They lay him in a tomb. On Saturday morning, although it's dark and the stone is in front, if you saw him, if you touched his fingers, they would be hard and they would be cold. If you looked at his face, it would be pale, covered with congealed, hardened blood. He would be recognizable, but there would be no breath. There would be no movement. The bits and pieces would all be there, but there would be no life. And that's because Jesus is dead on Saturday morning. The Savior. It's like hopelessness seeps out of that tomb. And the disciples are so confused and lost and they mourn. On Sunday morning, some women go... As Serene said this morning, probably for the last time to anoint his body. And they discover the stone has been rolled away. Grave robbers. It's a shock. And then two men in these dazzling clothes appear to them. And they say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? It's like, this is a tomb, ladies. This is where dead people hang out. What are you doing here? 
because Jesus is dead. We've come to anoint his body. This is where the dead people reside. The angels say, He is not here. He has risen. Remember what he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified on the third day, be raised again. And then they remembered his words. Dead come to life. He's not here. He has risen. He's alive and the living don't spend their time hanging around where dead people lie. You're in the wrong place, ladies. Jesus submitted to his Father's will, even to death, and he was raised according to his Father's will and promise. Dead come to life, death is conquered. The day of resurrection breaks forth, and from this point on, the New Testament fairly pulsates with resurrection hope. Such a contrast to the Old Testament. In fact, Paul writes, Paul's about, he thinks he's about to face death, and very likely was, to his protege Timothy in 2 Timothy. And he writes this, in 2 Timothy 1 verse 9. Grace was given us in Christ Jesus from the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. It's like Paul saying, God's grace was always there. His plan was always there. But now the shadows and the teasers of the Old Testament have given way to resurrection hope through the Messiah Jesus. Who is my hope, Paul says. Dead come to life. It's a new day. There's a new hope. And this is the Easter story that Jesus is risen he is risen indeed. And in him we too shall rise. We who trust him. In him our greatest hope that we can imagine becomes reality. Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He says, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, that is through Adam, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man, Jesus Christ. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power for he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. Jesus leads the way into his kingly reign, into his kingdom. He is the first fruits. He is the first to rise and then in our turn we too shall rise. As David read at the beginning, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead.
Jesus leads the restoration. He starts the new creation. In him, those who are spiritually and physically dead come to life. And this is powerful. Why start with creation? Every funeral, I say these words. Earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Formed from the dust. Formed from the ashes. Formed from the dry earth. 20, 60, 89, 103 years. Return to the dust. Maybe through cremation. Maybe through rotting in a grave. But it happens. Unless you're a terracotta warrior. Earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. But then for the believer, I say confident of the resurrection to eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. Confident of the resurrection to eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our God, the God of new creation, will from those ashes, will from that dust, dust fashion anew and bring life and immortality to light through the finished work of the Lord Jesus. Dead come to life. Changes everything about how you live. Easter Sunday changes everything about how you live and what you live for. This week I saw online that one of these things went viral. An obituary, not very often obituaries go viral. They're usually not things we tend to want to read. But this woman, Emily Phillips, she died on the 25th of March, aged 86, 67 years after just a Less than one month battle with pancreatic cancer. She wrote her own obituary. I won't read it all. Just bits. It pains me to admit it, but apparently I have passed away. Everyone told me it would happen one day, but that's simply not something I wanted to hear. Much less experience. Once again, I don't get things my way. That's been the story of my life. Then she runs through the story of her life, her history. She says in later, the memories I'm taking with me are so precious and have more value than all the gold and silver in my jewellery box. Isn't it true? Relationships are more important. Then she runs through her various memories, sometimes just little fleeting captures. It's quite a good read, quite moving. Then she gets to her treasures. I've always maintained that my greatest treasures call me Nana. That's not exactly true. She goes talking about her youngest daughter. And then she finishes like this. So, I was born, I blinked, and it was over. No buildings named after me, no monuments erected in my honour. I don't know how old you have to be to appreciate that. I appreciate that a lot more than I did 20 years ago. So, I was born, I blinked, and it was over. I did have the chance to know and love each and every friend as well as all my family members. How much more blessed can a person be, she writes. And then 
so I was born, I blinked, and it was over. I believe in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. I believe there are very sound reasons for believing it. But more than that, I believe it because I think God is true and he speaks and he works and Jesus is alive and it changes everything. Here's what it changes. And so, I was born. I blinked. And it's only just begun. With Jesus. Changes everything. It's the hope we celebrate every Easter Sunday. It's the hope that gives joy and purpose to every day, even amongst the trials. And it's the hope that I pray you come to know. (laughs) It is the hope that I pray we all come to know, not just here. You know, I know it here, I know it here. You know where you're going to know it? You're going to know it here. The promise of bodily resurrection. The promise of the breath of life. That's where you're going to know it. You're going to know it here. Pinching, punching, touching, feeling, hugging, loving. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. Dead come to life. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for saving us from our sins. We thank you for the promise of eternity. We thank you that you raised your son and in tune you willingly join us to him. Him is the first fruits. We in turn to resurrection life. Help us, Lord, to know that truth, to believe that truth and long for the day when we experience it in full measure. We ask in Jesus' name. Who is able to give life? Who can raise from the dead? Our God is able. Come and with great sense of victory, let's sing as we close this morning. God is able. Please stand and sing it out.